0: Awesome. Well, hey, welcome uh, to Central as we continue our series through our study of the Book of Philippians in a mini-series that we're calling Citizens. But before we get there, I just want you to know it is my honor to serve here as, uh, as your number one Chiefs fan that you know. Number one Kansas City Chiefs fan. We're buddies, right? No. Bang Bang Niner gang, you going to do it? Yeah. huh? Man, Chiefs and Niners in the Super Bowl again—be awesome! Hey, uh, well, I know we got some football to watch, so let's uh, let, let's jump in. So, if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to Philippians chapter two. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we'll have the scriptures on the screen. Uh, but we also have some message notes. We'd love for you to to follow along. My notes are there, um, and uh, you can refer to these throughout. Out the week, but uh, as you're making your way to Philippians chapter two, us let's, let's rewind a little bit back to our theme verse for this series. Philippians chapter one, verse 27 says this: It says, it "says Above all, like in other words, this, this is this is primary. This is most important. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel." I mean, you talk about a high call on your life, a high call to live a man in a manner worthy of the good news. About Christ, And ultimately, this, this book of Philippians, it's a short book, just four short chapters, but over 19 times, the apostle Paul, who's pinning this letter, talks to us about joy. And the overarching theme of this book is joy. But Paul knows what's true for you, what's true for me, if we're going to experience joy here on earth, then it's important for us to live as citizens of heaven on earth. And when we come to Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, uh, we come to a uh, Scholars and theologians throughout the ages have referred to as a a Christological gem or a theological diamond. In other words, the more we we, we memorize this passage, the more we meditate on it, the more we marinate in it, the more we, we think about it, the more we hold it up to the light and look at it through different angles, the more we see its brilliance, the more we see its beauty, the more we see its potency and its power. When we come to... Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, we come to what is perhaps the most profound passage in the entire Bible. If the Bible were a mountain range, at this moment, you stand on the base of Mount Everest. And our goal is to scale this text, to understand it, to grasp the realities, the depth, and the breadth of Christ's love for you, for me, and what he has accomplished for us. Truly, this is a profound text that is powerful, profound, transforming to a degree that's beyond any human's ability to express. When we come to Philippians chapter 2 and in verses 6 through 11, uh, if you have your NIV Bible, uh, NIV, you can see that it's, it's set off like a poem. In the early church, this was a hymn. It was a hymn sung by the early church to remind citizens of heaven who Jesus is and what Jesus did that they too might live that kind of life. And so Paul sets up this passage for us in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. We read this. He says, your attitude is should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Your attitude, the way you think, the way you view the world around you, the way you view yourself, the way you perceive the world around us, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. As citizens of heaven, our attitude, our mindset, should be the same as Christ. And when when we have that same mindset, that same attitude, that's where we find joy. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, Paul writes to another church. He's basically saying to us in this passage on Philippians, like, like because you are in Christ, think like Christ. Because you are in Jesus Think like Jesus. Here's what Paul writes in in Colossians 3. He says, since then you have been raised with Christ. In other words, what took place for Jesus at the resurrection when you put your faith in him, that just as sure as Jesus was raised from the dead, you will be raised from the dead. Since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Have you ever heard the statement that it's possible to be so, so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good? Uh, have you heard that statement? Uh, that statement is foreign to Scripture. Because Jesus, the, the, the ultimate ideal citizen of heaven, throughout his time here on earth, was the most heavenly-minded individual to ever walk on our planet and yet did the most earthly good. My concern for us as a church, my concern for us as citizens of heaven, isn't that we'd be so heavenly-minded that we are of no earthly good, but rather that we'd be so earthly-minded that we would not be of Heavenly good as we desire to be. So Paul says, set your heart on things above. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. He says, for, for you died. You're like, well, what does that mean? L- listen, Jesus said, no man can enter the kingdom of heaven unless he's, he's born again. Uh, Paul said this. He said, he said, your old life, when you put your faith in Jesus, your father, your citizen heaven, your old life is gone. And the new life has come. How does that happen? Well, it's when we come to God and we say, you know what, God, my life's not my own. I surrender to you. I'm coming under your umbrella. I'm coming under your lordship. In that moment, it's like our old life is gone. Now we're under the lordship of Jesus. We're following God. We're doing whatever he asks, not whatever we desire. It's this born-again experience. He says, set your your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died. In other words, I'm not living for myself anymore. I'm living for you. Your life is now hidden with Christ and God. And what Paul's saying in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, because you're in Christ, think like him. Because your life is hidden in him, take that same attitude. Take, take that same, same mindset. Because you're in Christ, think like Christ. Have the same attitude about Christ. If Christ were in your current situation, how would he think? And what's so powerful about this text in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, is it doesn't just tell us what Jesus did, It doesn't just tell us uh, uh, how he lived. It it tells us how he thought. Like like today, we get a little bit of an insight into the mind of Christ. We, We get insight into his attitude. We get insight into his posture. How did he approach challenging circumstances? How did he approach chaos in the world around him? What was his thinking in the midst of all those things? And And really, I believe the Holy Spirit's desire. Why did He include this in the Bible? I believe His desire isn't just so we would read this, just so we'd study this today and say, wow, that was rich. Wow, that was great. Wow, that was interesting. But rather, that the Holy Spirit's desire is to electrify our thinking in such a way that it changes us. It transforms the way we perceive ourselves. It transforms the way we perceive the world around us. It transforms our motives. It transforms, transforms. it electrifies us in such a way that you would have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. To help us grasp the depth and the breadth of Christ's humility. Uh, Paul frames up this text for us. with, With We could kind of frame it up this way with four different areas. First, Paul highlights Christ's humility, Christ's humility in heaven, Christ's humility in becoming a man, Christ's attitude as he approaches death, his humility in that. And as a result of these things, the results in his exaltation, and so we're, we're, we're going to read that today. Let, let's just read the passage, and then we'll, we'll jump into studying it. Here it is. Verse 5 says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The first thing that we see in this passage is Christ's humility in heaven. Three areas we discover Christ's humility. If you're taking notes, this is where they begin. Christ's humility in heaven. Philippians 2.6 says this, who being in very nature God. In other words, this is highlighting that Jesus is God, coexistent with God the Father, co-eternal with God the Father, completely God, totally God. Jesus is, is God. It's kind of challenging, but think of it like, like if you think of like the Trinity, like so Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all one. This is really, this will make your brain hurt the more you think about it, but the best way I can describe it is kind of like an egg. So you have an egg, it's, it's shell, yolk, and white, but it's one egg. In Jesus, in God, there's, there's Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Jesus, completely God, totally God, fully God. We read this in Colossians chapter one he says says for for by him who's him jesus by jesus all things were created in heaven and on earth visible invisible thrones powers rulers and authorities so everything that you can think of in the cosmos everything you can think about in your life today everything that you can think about on earth created by god by the breath of god all things were created Things that we can see, but also things that we can't see, whether of thrones, rulers, authorities, talking about the legions of angels at his command, Jesus created them. Now there's also fallen angels, people, angels that rebelled against God. Now those would be the, the devil and his, his demons, right? So we have this demonic force, but originally all things were created by God and it was, it was very good. Everything was created by God. All things were created by him and for him. Listen, you were created by God for God. The reason we have breath today, the reason we're alive today, it's a gift from God. You were created by God. You were created for God. Jesus, this is who we're talking about when we come to Philippians chapter 2. He is in very nature, the same essence, God, very God. Let's go back to that Colossians passage. It says this, he is before all things. In other words, this is, again, we can't really grasp with our minds, but eternity past, before the earth was ever formed. Eternity future, whenever the earth is no more. God, Jesus, before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church, and we could go on and on and on. But Paul, it's important for us to grasp this. He, Paul's saying, who being in very nature God He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. In other words, whenever God the Father is like, Jesus, I got a rescue mission. You need to go to earth to rescue humanity. It wasn't like Jesus was like, well, Father, if you want to do that, you go. I'm not going there. They're messed up. Like that thought never entered his mind. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. What does this mean for us? For us, it means that we're called to have the same attitude, to think the same way as Jesus thought. Therefore, it's no longer about our position in life, but rather the posture we take in life. It's our posture. In serving God, serving one another, it's taking the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. God, very God, who spoke and like hung the sun in this place. The God who spoke and like hung the moon in its place. The God who spoke and like all the starry hosts came into existence. He comes to earth in form of a man and he's with his buddies that he's invested his life in for over three years and they're at the Last Supper in this borrowed upper room and it would be customary of the day that that the servant would be the one to go around and clean people's feet as they've been walking around outside in the dirt and the mud and everything else that would be on their toes. It was customary when they came in the house, the servant did that. And if there wasn't a servant, it was customary that the youngest man around the table would take that position. But the disciples were so concerned about their position around the table. So concerned about who would be first. So what does Jesus do? He takes off his coat. He wraps it around him. He gets a basin of water. He kneels down, and one by one, all the 12, he begins to wash their feet. When he's finally done, these disciples are breathless, like, how, how would you do that for us? And Jesus said, if I, your teacher, and Lord, do this for you, you too serve in this way. It's no longer about our positions. It's about our posture, our attitude of Christ saying, God, if you would do that for me, who am I? I'll do whatever you ask. My life is the form of a servant. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. It doesn't matter who's above me. It doesn't matter who's beneath me. It doesn't matter who gets the credit. If there's a need, I'm called to serve. It doesn't matter if if it's something I enjoy. It doesn't matter if it's grimy feet. I take the posture of a servant. That's the attitude we embrace as citizens of heaven because that's the attitude of Jesus. He sets aside his heavenly glory. He, He displays humility in heaven and comes to earth and, and our second point is he displays his humility in becoming a man. God, very God, becomes a man. The, the apostle John, as he's writing his gospel account, and he starts off and he says, he says the, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He says, we have beheld his glory. And then he makes this audacious statement. He says, he says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. like can you believe it god very god came like us he became a man what humility paul writes who being in very nature god did not consider equality with god something to be grasped but made himself nothing the new american standard bible translates it he emptied himself he set aside his divine privilege. He set aside his divine prerogative and humbles himself and becomes a dude. He became a, a man. You say, well, what does, it, what does that look like? What did he set aside? Uh, well, first, he set aside his glory. When you think about the glory of heaven, you think about the beauty and the brilliance of heaven, you think about the glory of God, he sets that aside and he, he takes the very nature of a man. I mean, this is God, very God. Whenever he, he, Jesus appeared to Moses in the burning bush, Moses says, says hey, I'll go, but I want to see, let me see you. And what does God tell Moses? He says, "He says no man can see my face because if you do, you won't live. Like the glory of God is so awesome that our physical bodies can't contain it. That's why if you're a citizen of heaven, when you die, you get a heavenly body that can withstand the glory, that can withstand the brilliance, can withstand the, the splendor of God's presence. But God... God, very God, Jesus set aside his his heavenly glory, emptied himself, became a a man. He set aside his, his glory. We see Jesus longing to return to this. As Jesus is approaching the cross in John chapter 17, he's praying to the Father, and he says this. He says, now, Father, glorify me in your presence. How? With the glory I had before the world began. He's saying, Father, I remember what it used to be like. I remember what it was like when I had the glory and I longed for it. I longed to return for it. So now God, would you glorify me in that way? He set aside his his heavenly glory, his divine privilege to serve you, to rescue you. And now he invites us to have the same attitude, the same mindset towards others. I'll do anything to help people find and follow Jesus. Second thing, he gave up his authority He gave up his authority. Perhaps the greatest statement on this is Jesus' statement in John chapter five. He says, by myself, I can do nothing. This is God, very God, but he sets aside his divine privileges. And while he's on earth, he's like, I'm I'm totally dependent on the father. By myself, I can do nothing. God, very God, with legions of angels to do his bidding, gives up his authority of speaking things into existence. Totally depend on the Father. Hebrews 5.8 says that he learned obedience by what he suffered. Gave up his authority. Third thing he gave up was his power. I mean, you talk about speaking things into existence, that's power. But he humbles himself and becomes a man. And, and Peter would write this in one of his, his sermons in Acts chapter 10.38. He says, says this about Jesus. He said, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Now, if he had power in and of himself, why would he need to be anointed with the Holy Spirit and receive power? I would submit to you because he had no power in and of himself. He emptied himself of that. His divine privilege was set aside. He took the form of a man. And now utterly dependent on the Father, we see him retreating early in the morning to get his assignment for the day. Father, what do you want from me? Because God, if you don't speak to me, I can do nothing on my own. I only do what I hear the Father doing. God, I need your authority. God, I need, I need your power. I need the Holy Spirit's anointing. If I'm going to carry out the miraculous like you're asking me to do. Jesus went around doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. But wait, I thought Jesus is God. Yes, he is. But he set set his his divine prerogative, his divine privilege aside and became a man. Therefore, he's anointed with the Holy Spirit. He's anointed with power. And God's with him. That's how he does the miraculous. He sets an example for you and me that we can follow God like that. And when you and I follow God like Jesus followed God, you too can have the Holy Spirit. You too can have the, whole, the, the authority. You can have power on your life. You too can go around doing good, destroying the works of the enemy. That's what we're created for, actually. That's what citizens of heaven are all about. That's why Jesus would write this in John 14, 12. He says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me, anyone who's a citizen of heaven, will do the same works I have been doing. What are the works? (laughs) Driving out demons, healing the sick, raising the dead, proclaiming the good news. You'll, You'll do the works I've been doing even greater. How's that? Because I'm going to the Father. But he set aside his divine he gave up his privilege to become a man. That's humility. He gave up his power. Fourth thing, perhaps the most astounding thing in our modern-day culture is he gave up his riches. He gave up eternal riches. When you think about this on a very, like, baseline level, what riches did he give up? I mean, we could just, we could go to the book of Revelation, like, like we, we decorate our bodies, right, like, with gold. Like, this is my wedding ring, and it's gold, and it's, it's precious to me. It's a precious, precious gold piece of jewelry, But in heaven, the riches of heaven are so awesome. The author of Revelation says, like, yeah, that's like asphalt where I come from. Like the streets are paved with gold. It talks about the gates, like this big pearl, like emeralds and gems that are precious stones here on earth. It's like, yeah, that's construction material in heaven. And God set aside the riches of heaven and became a man. He walked among us. He came to earth. Colossians, or 2 Corinthians, Paul writes this. He says, he was rich. I mean, he oversaw all that. That's his kingdom. He ruled there where the streets are paved with gold, like where emeralds are like construction material. He was rich. Yet for our sake, for your sake, he became poor. He set aside aside his divine privilege. He humbled himself and became a man, the riches of heaven. I was thinking about this this week, and what blew me away is like Jesus pretty much had nothing to his name here. In a very consumeristic culture, this is so contrary to our thinking But the Son of God with all the riches of heaven sets all that aside, comes to earth in the form of a man, and he's born in a borrowed barn. He begins his ministry preaching from a borrowed boat. He rides into Jerusalem, his triumphal entries on a borrowed donkey. He celebrates the Last Supper with his disciples in a borrowed upper room. He's crucified for you and for me. And his body's laid in a borrowed tomb. He who was rich, yet for our sake, became poor. The God very God who created all that emptied himself. That's humility. And Paul saying, Hey, citizens of heaven, you think like that too let this be your attitude as you approach life as you approach people as you approach difficult topics let this same thinking be in you too john chapter 7 he's teaching and it says after he was done teaching each went to his own home but where jesus go he went to the mount of olives why because he has no home in luke 8 a guy comes to Jesus says, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. And what did Jesus say? Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. The riches of heaven at his disposal, legions of angels at his command. He comes to earth, he empties himself, and he gives it all up. I'm just submitting to you he loves you that much. He's on mission for you, for humanity, for the hearts and souls of man that much. It's that valuable to him. And Paul's saying, you too think the same way. Have that same attitude. Back to Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 says, he made himself nothing, nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Very nature. It's interesting, just in the verse prior to that, who being in very nature God, yet did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. So what did he do? He took the very nature, same word, very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. In other words, he wasn't pretending He he didn't just come to earth to win an Academy Award. Like, Like, he wasn't just wearing a costume. He wasn't putting on an act. He says this in Luke 22. He says, I am among you as one who serves. Took the very nature of a servant. God, very God. But as a man, humbled himself. Emptied himself of his divine privilege. And he just so identifies with you. He identifies with our frailty. He identifies with our humanity. He identifies with our weakness. Why? Because he knows all things. Yeah, that's part of it. Because he delights in the details of your life. Yeah, sure, that's part of it. But he also is qualified to be your number one best friend because he's experienced it himself. He knows what it's like to be misunderstood. He knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to grieve and to suffer loss. He knows what it's like to have people say things, all, all kinds of crazy things about you that aren't true. He knows what it's like to feel alone. He knows what it's like to love people and not have them love you back. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what it's like to try to help people only to have them turn their back on you. He knows what it's like to do your best to try to, try to explain to someone only to have them not even get it. He knows. We do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize or empathize with us in our weakness, but we have one who was tempted in every way, yet never sinned, Hebrews tells us. Yes, he's God, very God, but yes, he made himself nothing, Philippians tells us. Taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Paul says have the same attitude. Let me ask you, are you a servant? Do you serve? Or do we serve whenever it's just convenient with our schedule? Do we we serve like whenever it makes me feel good? Do we we serve whenever everything lines up? I mean, thank God Jesus doesn't serve you or me in that way, right? And Paul's saying have that same mindset. I've heard people say, oh, I used to do that, but I put in my time. As if like... Serving the kingdom of heaven is like filling out some circles and then you graduate and then you're retired and then you just drift off into the sunset. I mean, thank God the kingdom of heaven isn't like the Social Security Administration, right? Like, praise God for that. But if you're a servant, you serve. If you're a servant and there's a need, you meet the need. If we only do what we feel like doing whenever we feel like doing it, well, that's not taking the very nature of a servant. That's what kings do. That's what lords do. That's what bosses do. You take the very nature of a servant. Why? Because that's what he did for you. And aren't you thankful for that? Let's display our gratitude by serving, taking the same nature. Third thing we see Paul outlines, Christ's humility and death. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. Even death on a cross. Can I suggest to you that humility is displayed through obedience? Humility is always displayed through obedience. What what does disobedience say? Disobedience says, I'm the one in charge. I'm going to do what I want, when I want, how I want, and no one's going to tell me otherwise. That's contrary to a servant. That's contrary to a citizen of heaven under the umbrella, under the, the authority of, of the lordship of Christ. Obedience, rather, is the posture we take. Saying, God, if you say it, I'm for it. I don't care what anybody else says. If your word says it, I'm going to do it. I don't care what people say. If it's contrary to your word, I'm going with your word. I don't care what culture says. If it's contrary to your word, I'm sticking with your word. I don't care what my feelings, my emotions, my hormones tell me. God, if it, it, I'm going with your word right that's the posture of a citizen of heaven we don't follow our impulses but we're we're at one under authority just like jesus modeled for us it says he became obedient to death even when obedience cost you our life i'm going with his word jesus modeled that for you jesus modeled that For me, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. Listen, don't think for a moment that Jesus went to the cross because he wanted to. It wasn't his feelings that led him there. It wasn't people that led him there. It wasn't culture that led him there. It wasn't his buddy's good idea. Jesus did not want to go to the cross. The only reason he went was humble obedience. You remember after the last supper with the disciples in that borrowed upper room, He gets away to this this garden where he would frequent for prayer, and he's there, and he says, hey, boys, I'm about to experience something you have no idea about, but I need you to pray. And he goes a ways away from them, and the God who created the earth falls face down with his face in the dirt and says, oh, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to do it. But Father, not my will, but your will be done. He humbled himself and became obedient, even when obedience would cost him his life. Paul's saying, you too have that same mindset. Whatever he asks you to do, you do it. If it costs you your job, you do it. If it costs you the relationship, you do it. If it costs you your life, do it because that's what he did for you. That's what he did for me. He says, have the same attitude. He became obedient to death. Even like, can you believe it? Even death on a cross. It's like Paul's pinning this. and He's like, I can't believe I can. Can you imagine this? This is what he's done for you. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Roman crucifixion was execution in the most shameful, most painful, most excruciating way we've ever known in the history of humanity. A lot of times, artwork displays crosses elevated super high in the sky, but historians, archaeologists say that's not true. It would have been about a foot off the ground. About right here. It would have been stripped naked. You talk about Shame. He's already been beaten, mocked, and now being executed on a Roman cross as a criminal for doing nothing wrong. God, very God. Paul's like, can you wrap your head around this? As people spit on him, mock him. He's suffocating, hanging on a cross. God comes to earth in that way, and he becomes obedient to death. Even death on a cross. And as astounding as the physical torture would have been for any crucified victim, what's more astounding is simultaneously in that moment, as he's bearing your penalty for your sin, the consequences of your sin, your mistakes. Every time you've blown it, all your guilt, all your shame, all your regrets, all my guilt, all my shame, all my regrets, your kids, your grandkids, future generations to come, generations past, all of humanity, the weight and the consequence of sin is laid on him. As God, very God, suffering on the cross, perfect unity with the fathers, broken because that's the consequences of sin and God very God on the cross says, my God, my God, why have you turned your back on me? He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He loves you that much. And the author of scripture, the apostle Paul saying, if you want joy in your life, you take the same attitude. You want to know how to live as a citizen of heaven? Let think through that grid. Let that be your worldview. Finally, fourth fill-in-the-blank on your notes is Christ's exaltation. He says this in Philippians 2.9. He says, therefore. And every time you see the word therefore in your Bible, what do you got to do? You got to go back and see what it's there for, right? And so, therefore in light of Christ's humility in heaven, in light of Christ's humility and his deep love for you in becoming a man, in light of of Christ's humility in death, in light of that, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is. Is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ is Lord. God, very God. The God who showed up to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God who showed up to the patriarchs throughout the ages. The God who's still showing up in dreams to Muslims in Africa. The God, very God who still appears to people. Jesus is Lord. It says, there's coming a day when every knee will bow. Jeff Bezos' knee, Elon Musk's knee, Mark Zuckerberg's knee, your knee, your kid's knee, your grandpa's knee, your grandkid's knee, your neighbor's knee. Every knee will say, Jesus, you're the boss. You're the Lord. You're the commander in chief. You're the ultimate authority. And what distinguishes people who will spend eternity in heaven or eternity in hell is that posture and that confession. Every knee in heaven will bow. Every knee on earth will bow. Every knee in hell will bow. But citizens of heaven take this posture. They say, my knee's not gonna wait. I'm bowing to your lordship now. God, whatever you have for me, I'm in. I'm gonna have the same attitude as that of Christ. I'm not gonna consider myself better than anyone else. It's not about my position, it's not about my, but more, it's about my posture. My posture is a bit knee saying, Oh God, whatever you have for me, I'm in. You gave up everything for me. What do you desire from my life? I'll do it. The confession of a citizen of heaven. I'm not going to wait for that day when every knee is bowed and every tongue confessing because I'm going to confess today that Jesus, your Lord. That confession will always be on my lips as I go to work tomorrow, as I go to school tomorrow, as I I watch the football game this afternoon. The confession on my lips is, God, you got it all. You're You're the boss. You're the CEO. You're the Lord of my life. What's the attitude of a citizen of heaven? He says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being found in his appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Central Christian Church, May that be your attitude today and throughout your life as you live as a citizen of heaven. May your posture be a bent knee saying, God, I'm under your your command. You're the Lord. Whatever you have for me, I want it. Because that's where joy's found. That's where the abundant life found. And that's our confession. As we tell a watching world, that there's hope because that's what citizens of heaven do. Let's pray. Well, Father, we are in awe of your radical love for us. God, of your relentless pursuit of us that you would go to such depths, Jesus, to set aside all the glory of heaven, to be coming to earth as a form of a man and be treated like that. God, forgive us of our apathy. Forgive us, God, of having a mindset that's so consumed with ourselves. God, today we repent, we turn from that. And today we say, Jesus, we want your mindset. May the way we think be as you think. May the way we serve be as you serve. May the way we live be the way that you live and the way we die, be as you did for us. God, that's our commitment to you today. As you continue to pray with your heads bowed and eyes closed, I realize in a room like this, perhaps some of you here, if today were that day when you would stand before the throne of God and you would give an account for your life, perhaps you would not have the confidence to know that you are a citizen of heaven. All that changes by doing those two things. Bending your knee to the Lordship of Jesus, saying my life is no longer my own, I'm gonna do things your way, God. I submit to you. I'm turning from my sin, I'm turning towards you. And you make that confession with your mouth that I believe, Jesus, you are God. I believe you died on the cross and that paid the penalty for my sin. I believe you rose again and that brings me new life. That you want to begin a journey with with God today, it can all begin now. So that begins by talking to God. You can't have a relationship with God if you don't talk to him. We call that prayer. And if you want to connect with him, begin that relationship by praying a prayer like this. You say, God, I realize I've sinned. I've made mistakes. I've blown it in some areas. I realize my sin separates me from you But, God, I've just heard the depths of what you've done for me. My rescue mission to rescue me, to have relationship with me. And, God, I'm so grateful. God, I believe you died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. God, I believe you rose again. And you're alive. And, God, because you're alive, I'm asking you to come alive in me. Give me the gift of your Holy Spirit. Help me face the challenges I'm up against. She so you continue to pray, heads bowed, eyes closed. I'd love to pray for you if that was your commitment, your beginning a relationship with God today. Just invite you to raise your hand, show me who I'm praying for and lift up your hand to show God that you mean business. You're, you're on this journey. Thanks. thanks, 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 thanks. Yeah, yeah, awesome, thanks. Well, God, you see all the hands lifted up to you recognizing that, God, we need you. So, God, I pray miraculously, wonderfully, powerfully, that, God, you'd save them as they reach out to you. God, would you free them from guilt of their sin. God, may the shame of their past be erased in this moment, I pray. God, may their hearts be filled with joy as your Holy Spirit takes residence. God, would you use these men and women lifting their hands to you to live on mission for you just as you did for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, that's awesome. That was your commitment today. That's awesome.